such a privilege to stand before this audience this morning, see so many beautiful people just ready to worship the Lord. This morning, I'd like to address a topic which I think is probably on many people's minds. You see, the truth is, today, many people will celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible says in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5, Walk in wisdom toward those who are on the outside, redeeming the time. Redeeming the time means that we ought to take the opportunity when it presents itself to use it to God's glory and for God's purpose. And because today many are celebrating what they have called Easter, and I will remind you that the word Easter is not necessarily a biblical term. It's a term that was derived from the old German, which was for the goddess of spring, the goddess of fertility. But in the Bible, there was a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the first day of the week. And the truth is, true Christians celebrate this every first day of the week, as we gather together around the table that is before us, as we partake of the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23, Paul would write, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord on the, Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, for this is my body which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. For those of you who might be visiting with us, we want you to know that every first day of the week, we assemble around the table that is in front of me for us to remember the Lord's death, His burial, and His resurrection. As you think about the resurrection of the Lord, there's one chapter in the Bible that just stands out and deserves our time and attention. If you have your Bibles with you, I would like to encourage you to open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll go on and study that chapter. In case you're visiting and did not bring your Bible with you, there are pew Bibles in front of you. And if you'll look on page 850 in that Bible, you will find 1 Corinthians chapter 15. To give you a little preview of what we're going to study in our lesson this morning, we're going to look at, first of all, verses 1 through 11 and the proof of the resurrection. Did it really happen? Well, most certainly it did. And there's proof for it. Then we want to talk about the preaching of the resurrection. You know, the apostles, including Peter and Paul and others, declared that Jesus rose from the dead. Is there some sort of meaning to that? Well, surely there is. And then we want to talk about the power of the resurrection. What does that really mean in your life and in my life? And then finally, the purpose of it. Why did God choose to do it this way? So let's take our Bibles, and we're going to study this part of God's Word. 
To begin with, as you look at verses 1 through 11, you've got to approach it with a first century mind. You know, today when we study our Bibles, often we approach it with our 21st century mentality. But you've got to remember in the first century there were different kinds of people with different kinds of mindsets. For instance, there were two major parties among the Jews. Those who were the Pharisees and those who were the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were the wealthy people. They were the ones who were materialists. They had everything they wanted, and in their minds they really didn't need to think about the future. And because of that, according to Matthew chapter 22, verse 23, the same day the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection. You see, it's almost like the affluent of our day. There are people who think, we really don't need to think about tomorrow. We don't even need to think about the future because we want to enjoy what we have here in this life. But then when you think about the Greeks, you can go to the city of Athens. And as you go to that wonderful city and you think about all of the uh, education that was there, all the philosophy that was there, and really all of the things that were important, You get to Acts 17 and you look at verse 18 and it says, Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him and some said, What does this babbler want to say? Others said, He seems to be proclaiming before foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Now last Wednesday evening when we studied this in our auditorium class, we talked about the word Resurrection is the Greek word anastasis, which is just like a name that people use today. And they may have thought that Paul was talking about God's plural, but by the time you get to verse 32, you know Paul is not talking about a woman's name. And when some heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. There are some people who, when it comes to the idea of a resurrection of the dead, are making light of it, mocking the idea. That's just like today as well. There's some people, when you start talking about the eternal soul of man and about the future, they really don't get it because they don't think that's something that's going to happen. So you've got the Jewish mind, you've got the Greek mind, and then you even had some people who are in the Lord's church. And these are people who are subversive. They're trying to undermine other people. And according to 2 Timothy 2 and verse 18, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past and overthrow the faith of some. There are people who are confused about the resurrection of the dead, but Paul is going to begin by pointing out here that there are answers with regards to this. Look with me at verses 3 and 4. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, now notice this phrase, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. You see, in Paul's mind, you've got to prove to people that there was a resurrection. First, the way he's going to prove it to you, 
Go back and look at the Old, Old Testament passages according to the Scriptures. Because of time, I'm just going to hit these very briefly. Psalm 16, verses 10 and 11. Peter's going to quote it in Acts 2. For you will not leave his soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. When Peter quotes that, he points out that Jesus did not stay in the Hadean realm or the realm of Sheol, the place of departed spirits. He came back. Nor did his body, while it was in that tomb, see corruption. It didn't decay. It didn't begin to rot. You see, Jesus was brought back alive in Isaiah 53, verse 10. Isaiah also makes reference to this. But a second way of proving it to people was by means of eyewitnesses. You had people who had seen the resurrected Christ. There was no doubt in their mind that you might can say, well, if just one or two people see him, there's always people who are somehow deceived. But notice with me verses 5 through 8. Paul says, and he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then by all of the apostles. Then last of all he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. Now you might say, Peter, you could have attributed that to his excitement. But you've got twelve, all of the apostles. Then you have over five hundred brethren at one time. I'm guessing this audience has between 350 and 400 people in here this morning. If you had this many people who were eyewitnesses, you don't have any doubt. You can go and ask them, did you see the Christ after He was resurrected? Yes, I saw Him. I know He lives. In Acts 3 verse 15, Peter says, of which we're all witnesses. In John 20, verse 19, the same day, that's on the first day of the week, at evening being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst. You go on down to verse 26. After eight days, disciples again were inside, Thomas with them. Thomas wasn't present at the first meeting. He is at the second. Now they've all seen him. In Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 5, Paul makes reference to the fact that on the road to Damascus, it says that the light shone round about him from heaven, and he fell to the ground. He heard the voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, he saw our resurrected Lord. Now let's move to verses 12 through 19. Let's look at the preaching of the resurrection because after all when you have these witnesses like Paul and Peter and others who are preaching it, if you say that there is no resurrection, you're calling them liars. 
If I tell you that I saw something and you say, no, that didn't happen, then you're in essence calling me a liar. But there's even more than that. When you say this didn't happen, you are taking the very heart of the gospel message out of it. You're making it meaningless. Notice with me verses 12 through 19. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. Yes, and we're found false witnesses of God because we have testified that God had raised him up Christ whom he did not raise up if the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also them who are fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only... We have hope in Christ. We are of all men most pitiable. He said if you look at it and you say, Jesus did not rise. What does that mean? Your hope is gone. And you're calling the apostles false witnesses. And you're still in your sins. I want you to listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and verse 21. Peter said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you know the difference between a living hope and a dead hope? A living hope is something that you have reasonable expectation to enjoy. A dead hope is something that is never going to happen. You know, you might look and say, well, I want to be an NBA basketball star. That's a dead hope. That's not going to happen. You may say, though, that I, I would like to be able to accomplish this task. or that. Well, that's something you can do. God has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of the dead. Verse 21, through him, believe, through him, who through him believed in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. That's God's stamp of approval and saying, this is what I'm guaranteeing to you. You can be raised from the dead. Acts 2, verse 32. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we're all witnesses. God did this. But I like the way Paul puts it as he gets to the very end of his life. As he reflects back on what all he has endured and the hopes that he has, he says in 2 Timothy 4, verse 8, Finally there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, not to me only, but also those who have loved his appearing. What a great thought in mind as you listen to the preaching 
of these great men like the Apostle Paul to know that there is a message of the resurrection of the dead. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, I believe I've used this in just about every funeral that I have ever preached, and rightly so, because those of us who are in this life, when we lose our loved ones, there's something that we really, really struggle with. We want to see them again. And Paul would write, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, them also will God bring with him who sleep in Jesus. That means that every one of those who are faithful to God, who have left this life, are going to be there. Now let me talk to you for just a few moments about the power of the resurrection. It'd be very easy for a person to say, well, it doesn't really mean a lot to me, and if it doesn't, then I really feel sorry for you. Because there's the power that it has in our life as a great motivator. What we lost in Adam was regained in Christ. Now I'm going to make reference to verses 21 and 22, and I'll also put Romans chapter 5, verses 14 through 19 on the screen for you. But let me remind you that there's some things that we don't have to really go into details, but just to simply mention them. The passage from Romans 5 is a masterpiece. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22, For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all will be made alive. You go back to the very beginning of time. When Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, And death entered the world because of them. And every one of us have seen the sadness, the sorrow, the the tragedy that goes with death. But then I want you to think about the joy that one will have in eternity. Some of us have lost things very precious to us. And when you lose something very precious to you, there's sadness, there's grief, there's, you know, there's this extended even depression. But then imagine getting it back. Maybe you women, you've lost your engagement ring or wedding ring. You know, in the Bible, there's a woman who did lose her coins, which was the sign of her dowry, not only valuable financially, but valuable sentimentally. And you know, when she she found that one lost coin, she called her neighbors and friends in and rejoiced. Do you know what a day of rejoicing that will be when Jesus returns again? And those people who are 
Christians can look at their mothers, their fathers, their brothers, their sisters, their husbands, their wives, their children, and see their face once again and know there's eternity there. In Romans 5, verses 14 through 21, Paul says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even to those who had not sinned according to the likeness of Adam's transgression, who was a type of him who was to come, the type and the figure that is used there is Jesus Christ. And he will talk about, as you get further, into verse 17, for if by one man's offense death reigned through one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense Judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. I'd suggest to you there's a lot in that that's worthy of our time and consideration. But it gives us power for daily Christian living because it focuses us away from the difficulties of the here and now and focuses us on the future. Listen to verses 29 through 32. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead? if the dead do not rise at all? Why then are they baptized for the dead? And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by boasting in which you I have, by the boasting in which uh, you, by the boasting in which you which I have Christ Jesus our Lord, I died daily. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is that to me if the dead do not rise? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. He's looking at death and he's saying, what about those people who lived and while they were alive were baptized? What about them now? That's what 1 Corinthians or 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and following is about. But then he looks at himself. Why would I put my life in jeopardy? Why would I risk my life if there's no resurrection of the dead, what I ought to do is avoid all conflict and live as long as I can. Or as he would put it, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Because you see, Paul is saying there's power in that resurrection because it can motivate me to take whatever I have to now for a better resurrection. Don't let... Evil people rob you of your joy of understanding the resurrection. In its context, verse 33, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Evil people can make you doubt God. But now finally, let's talk about the purpose of the resurrection. There is a very profound idea that applies in many areas of life, and that is sometimes people doubt that which they do not understand. 
People can't wrap their mind around it, and so they even doubt that it is true. They doubt that it is right. And in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 35, here's the way Paul expresses it. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? And here's the, here's the problem. Here's a person thinking in their mind, how's God going to do that? Somebody who was eaten by a wild beast, how's God going to bring that body back? Or somebody who has passed away and their body has been in the tomb for generations and now it's all but dust, how can God bring that body back to life? With what kind of body did they come? What's it going to be like? Is it going to... You know, is it going to be some sort of spiritual body? It's hard to wrap your mind around that. When you go to 1 John 3, verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him even as He is. Here's the answer, folks. God has not told us all the details of it yet. We know some, but we definitely don't know it all. And here's what I understand. When you start talking about a body, I look at flesh and blood. That's all I know. That's all I can be able to conceive of. I know this body, though, grows old. I know this body here begins to decay and die, has disease, and it's corruptible. But I know the eternal one won't. Which then brings me to verses 50 through 53. Here's some important verses, folks. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on corruption and this mortal must put on immortality. You see, you're you're going to go to heaven, which is incorruptible. That is, it doesn't wear out. It doesn't grow old. It is a spiritual place. This flesh and blood is not conducive toward a place of incorruption. You don't take this old wearing out body and you take it to a place that doesn't wear out. And so there's going to be a change. The dead are going to be raised incorruptible. Those who are here alive are going to be changed to an incorruptible and immortal body. That's the purpose of the resurrection, is to prepare you to receive eternity. And then Paul explains that when this body goes through that change, whether it's being raised incorruptible or whether it is being changed, that's when you get victory. 
Notice with me verses 54 through 57. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass a saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what that means. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There will be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Folks, that's victory. Can you imagine living life eternally, blissful, no pain, no sorrow, what a great prospect that really is. The resurrection is the heart of the gospel. And the truth is that everyone is going to be resurrected. You know, some people have in their mind, they're thinking just simply about the good being resurrected. But here's the way Jesus put it. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming which all that are in the graves will hear His voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those that have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Now whether or not you believe this will have great impact on who you are and how you will live. In John eleven twenty three through 27 Jesus had arrived in Bethany at the death of his very good friend Lazarus. Lazarus' two sisters, Mary and Martha, had gone out to see Jesus and said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. And Jesus says, he's going to rise again. Martha responds, yes, Lord, I know he'll rise again at the last day. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And if a man believes in me, he will never die. And then the Lord asked her a question. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God? Do you believe what He said about the resurrection? Here's the bottom line. If you do, you need to live like it. If you're not a Christian, because you believe in Jesus Christ, come forward, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Him, and be baptized. Everything is ready. The baptistry is behind me. There's garments prepared. We have clothing. We will stop everything to see a new Christian. If you are a Christian and you need to make things right with the Lord, we'll stop. We'll pray with you. Your soul's too important to risk your eternal salvation. Would you come while we stand and sing?